Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. Hey, we're starting a new series today, and our series is called All Tied Up. And the series is all about God, it's about church, it's about religion. And I think it's important to communicate that all those three things, they are not the same thing. I think it's very easy for people to put God and church and religion all into the same bracket. But those things, they have different meanings and they mean different things to different people. In fact, those things have meant different things at different times. So we're going to do a series and, and I, I don't want you to be confused about this at all. So we have a goal in this series and the goal is to get religion out of the church and out of your faith. And if you think that sounds strange, I totally understand that. But I want you to stick with us because it's all going to make sense. I'm going to preach a message to you today called, What Are You Tied To? So God and church and religion, they all mean different things. They're not all the same thing. Now, God, God has always been the same God. He's been the same. In fact, the Scriptures say that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So with Him, the Scriptures say that there's no shadow, there's no variation. He is the same consistent person. Now, you might be having a bad day, but I can tell you that God doesn't have bad days, right? He's the same. He's always the same. And if you look at the Scriptures, one of the good things about living in this time that we live in now is that we have more information today than they had way back at the beginning of the Bible. See, if you look at the beginning and you see like Moses and Abraham, God was progressively revealing who He was to people, specific people over time and history. But we live in an age right now where we are past Jesus coming. We live 2,000 years after that moment. And so we know so much about God and we can look through time and history and we see who God is and how He has revealed Himself. So God is the same. Now, what has changed is people's thoughts about Him over the years. And those things have changed as we have discovered more about Him. And the more that you learn and the more that we look through history, so people's ideas about God might have changed, but God is still the same. Now, when it comes to church, that is a completely different thing. In fact, church doesn't today, it doesn't mean exactly the same thing as maybe it used to mean. And if you look back through time and history, there are moments when church has meant different things to different people. Maybe they've just viewed church a little bit different. And I, I get it. I mean, that's just, come on, that's just confusing, isn't it? It is kind of confusing. And even if you think about church today, come on, what do we got? Uh, we got Catholic church. We got Protestant church. We got uh, Baptists. We have Reformed churches. We have Pentecostal churches. And a lot of these churches, they even blend together. So now you got Baptocostal, you know, and there's, there's all these different denominations. And I, I get it. It's kind of confusing. But church has changed over time and, and there are different expressions of it. In fact, I remember many years ago, I was working down in Oakley. And on this day, I met this lady, older lady, and we got into a conversation and I don't know how it happened, but somehow the, the whole thing of church came up. And she said to me, oh, so, so are you uh, a Christian? You, you go to church? And I said, I am. I, I actually do go to church. You go to church. And she said, yes. 
And I said, where do you go to church? And she said, oh, I go to a Catholic church. I said, okay. She asked me, she said, where do you go to church? I said, well, I go to this church. And I sort of named the church. And after I said it, she says, oh, that's such a shame. Oh, I, 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 I'm so sorry to hear that. I, I wish you had told me that you went to a real church. And I was like, what, what do you mean a real church? Like, wait, wait, are you, are you trying to tell me that, that you and your, the Catholic church, that, that that is the real thing? And the one that I go to is like this kind of cheap imitation of the real thing. What do you mean that you wish I went to a real church? I think my church is kind of real. Tell me about your church. What makes it more real? It's, it's kind of funny because people have these different ideas about church. Now, church is one separate thing, but if you look at religion, here, this is where it gets even kind of weirder because religion today, I don't think it means exactly what it was meant to mean in the beginning, in the Bible, when you look at the Scriptures. And, and it's kind of confusing, but here's something that you should know is that words change over time and things mean different things now than what they used to mean way back when. So, so let me give you a great example of this. If, if you, I saw you today and uh, we met up somewhere and I told you that you look awful, right? What would I be saying? I'd be saying that you look terrible, that your clothes are terrible. Like what made you pick that jacket? And did you even check yourself before you, you left today? Have you even done your hair? Come on, you look awful, right? But, but if I had been saying that maybe way back in history, the word awful is actually meant to mean something that's full of awe. It's like, wow. Like if you saw an impressive sunset, you said, wow, look at that. I am filled with awe. It is an awful sunset. It just doesn't mean the same thing. It's kind of weird because I reckon that today we've replaced awful with awesome. And that doesn't make sense. I mean, some, there's some awe with awesome, but we think that that's amazing. And awful is full of awe, but we think that that's terrible. I mean, it's just confusing. I, I totally get it. And words mean different things. Okay, so let me give you another one. Uh, the, if I was to say that I have lots of furniture in my house, you would think, what does that mean? Like tables and chairs and couches and all the rest of it. But, but the word furniture, it used to mean equipment. And so if I said, oh, I have a lot of equipment at my house, well, that's just an odd thing to say, but that's what the word used to mean. I mean, there are so many words like that. Think about the word naughty. If I said that someone was being naughty, what am I saying? I'm saying that they're misbehaving. I'm saying that they're, they're, uh, they're acting, uh, they're misbehaving badly. They're behaving badly, you know? This is what we say when we say that someone is naughty. But actually in the 13th century, it meant a completely different thing. If somebody was naughty, it meant that they were poor. It meant that they were impoverished. It meant that they had nothing. Bubkus, zilch, zero. They were poor people. They had naught. What, what, how many possessions do they have? None, naught, right? What does that make them? That makes them naughty. Even the word nice. I mean, when we talk about nice today, I say, oh, that's nice. And you know what that means because we live in this culture. But actually from the 13th to the 16th century, nice was what you called somebody when they were a total fool. So they did something really stupid. We say, oh, that's nice, you know. But now nice means, well, you know what it means, you know. So words change over time and today, most Christians, we don't actually want to be called religious. Now, maybe you're new to church. You don't come to church very often. And you're thinking, wait a minute. 
I thought that's what you were going for. Aren't you going for religious? Is, isn't that what you want? No, 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 no. We don't actually want to be known as religious people. We don't like what it's come to mean. I remember years ago, I was working in a job before I was working at church. And after a period of time, I remember that someone came to me and they said, oh, I just found out that you're religious. You're religious? Really? You? You don't seem religious, right? Now, it, it, when you say to somebody, if you're not a Christian and you're watching this and you say to a, a Christian person, you don't seem religious, for us, oh, oh, we feel like we passed the test. We do. We're like, you really? I came off as, as kind of not religious? Oh, that's so great. You know, we feel like somehow, I don't know, like we've, we've infiltrated the normals uh, amongst a secular culture, we were able to pass ourselves off as being some kind of normal. And I knew that with me, it wasn't because I'd let go of my values or, or my beliefs or anything like that. I just didn't come off as maybe religious. And, and, and what, is the, what do they mean when they say that? I think that they have an idea or people have an idea about what religious means. And I'm not so sure that I want to be associated with it. Now, how did all of this start, okay? Because we don't want to be considered religious, but here's the thing. We love to talk about church and we love to admit the fact that we go to church. We just don't want to say that we're religious. Well, I want to tell you why we love church. And the reason why we do is because the church is God's idea and He loves it. He loves the church. You know, it's like back in high school, it's not high school, primary school, you know, when, when, when if somebody said that they, that they love something and some kid would say, oh, really? Why don't you just go marry it then? Well, he did. He actually did. Jesus, if you love the church so much, why don't you just go marry it? He did. In fact, the Bible says that explicitly, that he married the church because the, the Bible calls the church his bride. Now, not everyone has had a, a, a really great experience with the bride. Sometimes you think, oh, is it, it's meant to be beautiful. It's like the bride of Frankenstein. It doesn't look quite right, you know? And we get that. It's not always perfect, but you got to understand something about God is that He loves the church. Jesus says that He is married to the church. And to understand church, you have to understand who the God of the Bible is. And I'll tell you something right now. The God of the Bible, the God that we read in this book, is different to every other God, every other religion, everything else, right? He is incredibly different. In fact, if you look back through time and history and look at some of the ancient pagan cultures, they looked at um, their gods completely differently. In the ancient and, and pagan cultures, they, their gods would preside over a specific land. So they would have a God that would preside over, say, for example, the land of Canaan. And when you were traveling through a land, you would sacrifice to the God of that land because the God was a regional God and there would be a central temple. And if you went into the temple, you could find a statue, something that was carved by people. And they said, this is the God that we worship. Now, Judaism was completely different. I mean, like nothing like this at all. In fact, in Judaism, there was no central temple, even though they had one, don't get me wrong, but it wasn't the place where God would be confined to. 
And he never tried to pass himself off as the God of a specific region or the God of a specific land. And this separated Israel and their beliefs about God from a lot of the ancient pagans and different cultures. I mean, this was just a radical idea. No carving of him anywhere. In fact, here's the truth. God said, don't ever carve anything and try to say that it's me. And the reason that he did is he said, anything that you carve is not going to deliver or give to people the fullness of my glory. It's not going to communicate who I am. Don't carve anything and try to tell people that it's me. And as you know, the story, they kind of got in trouble for doing that once before. You know, they made this golden calf. He said, hey, that's not right. So God wanted no carvings of him. And this was amazing to the cultures that were around them. In fact, in 63 BC, general, uh, a Roman general, Pompey, after he had sacked Jerusalem, he goes into the temple and, and he goes in and he wants to find this God of the Hebrews. Who is this God that they talk about? He seems to be different from all the other gods. And if you've never been to synagogue before, and I'm kind of assuming that most of you haven't, if you go in, there are these different sections in a synagogue. And at the very back, there is this place called the Holy of Holies. And there would be a thick curtain, like super thick, very heavy, very big curtain that would separate the Holy of Holies from the other sections, okay? And if you went into the Holy of Holies, which you wouldn't be allowed to do because the high priest did that, but not just anyone goes in there, you would find no statue in there, just the Ark of the Covenant, which is kind of like a really decorative gold box, okay? And, and so here, here's General uh, Pompey, and he goes in, and he, and he pulls back the curtain, expecting to see something dramatic and, and remarkable. And as he looks into this empty room, he's sort of thinking, where's your God? This is ridiculous. What kind of faith is this? You have no statue, you have no carved image. Like it, it was actually would have been considered ludicrous for there to be an invisible God. And yet God didn't seem to care about that because he wasn't trying to be like all the other sort of false gods or, or religions or, or he said, hey, I'm, I'm God and I do things my way. I'm completely different to everything else you've ever seen. And I'm telling you, God is. And I don't think that this point that I'm making right now could be crystallized at any other point in time or history better than when we see the gospel. The gospel where Jesus Christ comes from heaven to earth. And in fact, if you read the scriptures, it says in John chapter one, that the word mean, meaning that means Jesus, that He became human and He dwelt amongst us. So God became human. And here's what He did. He lived the perfect life that no one on earth was able to live. And then He paid the penalty for all of their mistakes. So every wrong thing that people have done, He said, hey, I will pay the penalty for that. I'll pay the penalty for all of your sins. I will die on the cross and, and, and pay for all of your mistakes. And you don't have to pay for the mistakes if you believe that what I've done on the cross is for you. And that's why we say that if you're a person that has a relationship with God, we're saved from all of the punishment. That's why we say saved. We're saved from the punishment because of what Christ has done for us. That means that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And, and no God would ever do this. This is unbelievable. This is amazing. No God at any other point in time or history would ever even consider becoming flesh and paying for the penalties and the mistakes of people. 
In every other culture, people go to their God and they say, hey, make, we wanna make it right. And He gives them a whole bunch of things to do and they, they try to be good and it's works-based religion. Christianity is totally different to all of this. It is outrageous to consider that God would die for people. And if you know the story, what happens? Jesus is buried and three days later, He resurrects, right? And then He spends 40 days on the earth with all of His disciples. And he starts to give them instructions. And he says, this is what you're going to do. And this is where you're going to direct your energies and the efforts. And this is what I want to see you do on, on planet Earth. He gives them something that we call the Great Commission, which is to share the message that I just shared with you. He wants them to share it with everyone so that they can have a relationship with God. He said, you need to tell everyone about this. And when God's people began to move on the earth and, and do things. They were, they were filled with the presence and the power of God. I mean, the Holy Spirit came in and filled them and they would be praying for people and there were miracles and there were signs and there were wonders. It was, it was the most dramatic movement that people had ever seen on planet earth and God was like reaching people and helping them. It was incredible but they weren't called Christians yet. That didn't happen. In fact, the first name or the first thing that they called them or this group of people is they called them the way. And I love that. They, they called it a sect called the way. I love that phrase, the way, because really it's just so perfect, isn't it? This is the way to God. This is the way to connect with God. This is the way forward. This is the way forward for every tribe, every nation, every tongue. It doesn't matter, man, woman, Gentile or Jew. Gentiles are just the people that weren't Jews. So it didn't matter what your cultural background was, what your setting was, what your gender was. They said, hey, if you wanna walk this way, then come with us. We're all doing this together. And it was incredible to see the church do this on, uh, on the earth. So where did the word church actually come from? Well, the very first mention of it in the Bible is this conversation that Jesus is having with Peter, his, his apostle, one of his disciples. And so they're having this conversation and, and Jesus says to Peter, hey, who do people say that I am? And Peter says, oh, well, you know, some people say that you are Elijah. Some say that you are uh, John the Baptist. Some say that you're Jeremiah or, or one of the prophets. And, and Jesus asks this question. He says, okay, Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter says, oh, I say you're the Christ. Oh yeah, I, I, I say you are the Messiah. You're the Holy One of Israel. You're the one that we've been waiting for. You're the one that's gonna fix everything and make it right. That's what he meant. And Jesus says to him, oh, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, aka Peter. He says, blessed are you, Peter, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. In other words, what he's saying is, hey, you didn't hear this from someone else. It wasn't one of the other disciples that's come and told you. No one told you this. You got this straight from God. Blessed are you, Peter, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my, Father, but my Father who is in heaven. And he says, and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now that is the first time that the word church is used in the Scriptures. 
Now, I wanted to explain something to you about this word church, because when Jesus said the word church, it, it, it didn't mean exactly what it has been translated as. If you open your Bible and you start to read all the scriptures that you read, almost every single word has been translated as a word in English that, from a word that they used back then. And sometimes the Bible will keep the original language. So if we don't have a word that describes exactly what they meant, they will keep an original word. Okay, so so. Oftentimes, that's how the scriptures are translated. But this word church was not actually a translation. This word church was a substitution. So the word church is actually in the original language, the one that Jesus was speaking. It was this phrase that he used, ecclesia. And, and God's ecclesia, when Jesus said, my ecclesia, he meant his people. In fact, the, the phrase ecclesia, it means an assembly of people who have gathered together for a specific purpose. That is not a biblical word. It's not a Christian word. It was a secular word. It just meant a group of people that are gathered for a very specific purpose. In fact, if you read the scriptures, you can go to Acts chapter 19, verse 32, and there is this story about a mob who's coming together. And it says, they assembled together, but they didn't know why they had done that, you know? And that word assembled is the same word. It's not used of Christians, it's just a secular word. So what was Jesus really saying? He's saying, I'm gonna build my people. I'm gonna, I'm gonna build a group of people that are gathered around the very specific purpose that care about the things that I care about. I'm gonna build my people and nothing, the gates of hell included, nothing is gonna stop them. Nothing is gonna come against them. And when Jesus' ecclesia started doing things on the earth, I tell you, it was spectacular. I mean, uh, his, his ecclesia was amazing and they would, they would preach the gospel and people were giving their hearts and their lives to Jesus, like thousands and thousands of them. And they were great at doing social justice too. I mean, they weren't exclusively about social justice, but they made sure that they fed people and they looked after them and they looked after widows and orphans. And this is revolutionary stuff because a lot of the times widows and orphans were not looked after. And so he's, and, and James, Jesus's brother, his younger brother, he says, this, what we see, what Jesus' ecclesia are doing and looking after people. He goes, this, this is pure religion. That's, that's just pure religion. So how did we get here now? How did we get to this place? Why is religion different? And why don't we like the word religion anymore? Well, let me read to you everything that James said in chapter one, verse 26 to 27. He says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. You think that you're religious because you're doing all the right stuff on the outside. You're involved in the rituals and all the rest of it, right? He says, ah, but all the outside stuff, it's worthless unless there's something happening on the inside. In verse 27, he says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself uh, unstained from the world. Now, he wasn't saying that just the widows and orphans thing, that that is exclusively what it means to have pure religion. He meant that that was a pure expression of what religion should really be. 
The word religion appears only in the New Testament and it only appears five times. And this is what it's meant to mean. Adoration. In other words, complete adoration. And I'm going to sort of summarize it a little bit, but it's really meant to mean worship to God. And worship comes from a place deep inside your heart. That's where worship emerges from. So religion that's pure and undefiled is worship that comes from your heart. Religion is meant to be this all-encompassing word that, that is meant to communicate and express that there is this heart connection that people have with God, okay? Now, James says that there are two areas that we need to pay attention to. He says the tongue and the heart. Now, we know something. We know that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What does that mean? It means that all of these things are flowing from your heart. So we watch sometimes your mouth to see what's really going on inside your heart. And he says, if we watch these things carefully, then it tells us something about your relationship with God. We know whether your relationship with God is, what did James say? Pure. And the fact that he says that it's pure, I think quite clearly indicates that there is another side to this coin. If, if he says that there is pure religion, then by definition, isn't he also communicating that there is an impure version of religion? So there's, there's an insincere version of this. Pure religion is everything that's on the inside of your heart. It's everything that comes from within here. And then he says, impure religion is everything that's outside. And so you can be behaving on the outside and trying to do everything that looks like you're devoted and, and all the rest on the outside. And, and James is really saying, do whatever you want on the outside. But if your heart's not right, it's not pure. It's going to destroy, it's going to corrupt everything. And, and this is incredibly important to communicate. I think that this might be one of the most important messages I've ever preached because I believe that there's a bunch of people that just have religion, but they have no idea about the things that I'm talking about today. They think it's all sort of on the outside. It's funny, you know, like with my kids, you know, every, every night when we sit down for dinner, you know, one of the things we do is we say grace. And, you know, so it kind of happens that, you know, we're moving plates from, from you know, the, the kitchen to the table and things are starting to get set up and we're trying to drag the kids away from Xbox or something, whatever they're doing. Come on, guys, sit down at the table, right? And then I always say the same thing every night because I want to encourage my kids to pray. And so I say to them, all right, who's going to say grace tonight? And one of them will always say, me, right? And so I'll say this as we're starting to get things ready. But then what happens is maybe the TV's still on in the background and it's all happening, but they're real hungry. And so one of the things that they do is that they'll say, I'll say grace. And then they say, dear Jesus, thank you for the food. Amen. Right. And I'm like, what? I'm like, I don't even know if Jesus knows what you just said. Like, what did you just say? I have no idea what you just said, right? And they are just trying to get through this statement as fast as they can because now they get to stuff their faces, right? And I'm like, oh no, I'm not having any of that. Don't you be religious. We're not ticking a box here, people, right? And by the way, and I say this to them all the time, I'm like, when you pray, 
The reason we're doing this is we are saying thank you to God for the provision that we have in this house. I'm thanking God for the food that we've got on our table because everything good thing comes from above. And we're just saying thank you, Jesus, that we live in a house where, where we're looked after, where, where we have food that we can eat. And by the way, kids, right, when you pray, you don't watch the TV at the same time. Stop praying with your eyes open, getting through that statement quick as you can. I'm like, oh, no, 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 we're going to do this again. TV off, everyone. This is a very genuine thing that's happening here. We're about to say thank you to God. So with that in mind, let's pray again. I'm telling you, you have no idea how often I say this to them, right? Because I don't want my kids to become religious. You know, we just say grace and tick a box. There we go, God, you got it. You know, I, I said it. You know, when it comes to religion, religion is always about, I have to do this, right? So I I'm going to eat, but before I eat, I just have to say this sentence, this prayer, apparently it makes God feel good about himself or something. I don't know, but let's just say it and it's done, right? No, 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 no. When I want to, when it comes from my heart, it's worship. And, and no one's making me say grace. I, I want to thank God. It's amazing how many things we have in our lives where we can make it religious or it can be very genuine worship from our heart. And we can just make it a tick box. It doesn't matter what it is. Coming to church, sure, you can just tick that box. Going to small group, yeah, tick the box. I did it. Are you happy now? Like, fine. We, I just do it. Why do I do it? Because that's just what we do. We just make sure that we do these things, you know? But actually, if, you, if your heart's not in the right place, everything you're doing on the outside, what did, what did James say? He says, it's worthless. It doesn't matter if your heart's not involved. You're not just here ticking boxes. There's something that's so much more meaningful. And I think that we have to check and see sometimes, you know, do, do I want to pray? Or do I have to pray? Do I, do I want to read the Bible? All right, am I like getting up in the morning and, you know, getting through it? Yeah, I did it. Are you happy now, God? Like, I, I've done a good thing. and kind of feel, I don't know, maybe feel better about ourselves because we ticked the box. We did it. We didn't want it. Imagine if you treated somebody like that in real life. Imagine if you said, look, I know you want to catch up and you want to spend some time together. Imagine if you treated your wife that way. Fine, let's do it, all right? And you did it. Are you happy? Can I get back to what I really wanted to do? It would be horrible to do that. That's not the way that you have relationship with God. Now, I heard some time ago, somebody, I heard somebody say this, that discipline is the lowest level of relationship with God where we only spend time with God at a sheer discipline. Not because we want to, but because, come on, I've got to do this. I've got to make sure I tick the box, right? And I think that that's horrible. But here's what I've discovered. There is a rung below that level. So discipline might be the lowest level of relationship with God, but there is another rung. At least with discipline, there's some relationship. The rung below discipline is religion. And here's what I mean by that. Outside works that become a system to get close to God. And that's what I think religion has come to mean to people today. If you ask people what religion is, most of them, a lot of them, just think that it's about rituals. It's just about going through processes, right? And that, if that's what you think religion is supposed to be, I'm telling you right now, it's fake, 
It's false. It's phony. It's not real. And I can't stand it, which is why I don't even want to be associated with it. Religion is the English word for religion derives from an old French word, and it means to restrain, to tie back or to tie down. And my point to you is this, that if you tie yourself to religion, there is no freedom in that. None. You're not making God happy. You're not even making yourself happy. I mean, there, there, is, there is no freedom in that kind of religion. The kind of religion where you're just maintaining everything on the outside, do you know what we call that? We call it works-based religion. And I'm telling you right now that that is not the way that we are supposed to think about our relationship with God, where we do some works, right? And it's like this debt-based system. I did something good for you. Now you do something good for me. That is what we call legalism, where we start to think that our good behavior starts to put God in debt and He now owes us something. Let me explain to you something about this, because this kind of ideology creeps its way into the church sometimes. This is where prosperity doctrine comes from. I've done something, now you owe me. I expect it, you must give it back to me, right? Let me tell you something about God, right? I'm going to preach it straight today because I want everyone to make sure that you understand this. The God of the Bible owes you nothing and yet He gave you everything. When Jesus became flesh and, and, and walked around and lived a perfect life and paid the penalty for our sins, that was where He owed you nothing and yet He gave you His very own life. And since He has done that, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, everything that I do now, I do not do because I have to. I do not do because I put God in debt or because He owes me. Everything I do is thanksgiving. My, I give my time, I give my energy, I give my focus, I give my talent, I give my treasure. Everything that I give is because I'm thankful for everything that He's done. He still owes me nothing and I understand that He's given me everything. So what is this? I call it gratitude. And I live my life in service to God out of the adoration and worship that flows from a heart that says, I thank you, Jesus. Now that's what it means to have a relationship with God. That's what this whole thing is supposed to be about. And when it comes to works-based theology, and when it comes to your idea, this legalism, like we put God in debt by doing good things, right? You either... Think you can make it on your own, so you're doing all of these things, so you think that you're becoming a better person, number one. Or number two, you attempt to do all of these things and you fail along the way, which of course you do, and both approaches to God are completely wrong. We shouldn't even be thinking about this kind of faith. That's, that's the kind of religion that we, that we don't want. I'm telling you right now, when it comes to this kind of religion, you don't want it. The church doesn't need it. We are worse off for having it and we need to really rethink about why we're in this in the first place. Now, I wanna tell you something. People have always done this. People have always done this. In fact, even back in Israel, ancient Israel, they did this. Listen to what the prophet Joel says in Joel chapter two, verse 12 to 13. He says, yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping and with mourning. And I want you to tune into this. He says this, and rend to me your hearts and not your garments. See, back in this time, in this culture, 
if something terrible had happened and you wanted to communicate it publicly, right? You, you grab your shirt, your t-shirt, whatever you're wearing, whatever they're wearing, and they tear it. And they get ashes and they put ashes on their face, right? So put the ashes on, tear the t-shirt, right? And that communicates on an outward perspective that communicates, hey, this, uh, uh, things are bad, things are terrible, and, and I'm, in gr I'm grief stricken at the moment. <laughs> and this scripture, he's saying to me, you know, on the outside, you, you, you're tearing all your clothes. And, 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 and yeah, you probably got the ashes on your face. He says, give me your heart, not your garments. You, you're, just, you're just ripping up good clothes. You're just going to have to go down and buy another t-shirt now. You, you, you're tearing your clothes and you think that it's making you a real spiritual person. It's not. You're just going through the motions. You're going through the process. Stop destroying good clothes. Just give me your heart. That's what I'm interested in in the first place. See, I want to tell you something that I think is incredibly important you get today. Religion. If you remember anything from this message, if you remember anything, let it be this. Religion can hide your dead relationship from God. Religion can hide your dead relationship from God. It's not there. It doesn't exist. And that matters immensely because the only way that you get to walk in eternity with God is through relationship. And it's so sad that there are people that think that they've got some kind of connection with God because they're going through a ritual, but they... They have no connection with God Himself. Listen, listen to this. Amos chapter 5, verse 21 to 23. This is God speaking. This is so strong. He says, I hate, I hate, I despise your feasts and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals I won't even look at him. Take away from me the noise of your songs and the melody of your harps. I will not listen. I don't want to hear your worship. I don't want to see your services. I don't want to see anything that you're doing right now. You know, I'm just sick of it because you're just going through the motions. You're just doing it with no heart connection. You know, the thing that we got to understand is that God isn't interested in us just following through on all the rituals of life or, or, or church or, or, or your faith or anything like that. You know what God wants more than anything else? He wants you. It's just you. It's you and nothing else. Stop trying to dress up your behaviour with all the rituals and think that that makes you closer to God. What makes you close to God is when you want to be. What makes you close to God is when it's your heart. And if you tie yourself to religion, you will tie yourself down. You will restrict all of your freedom. I don't want to be tied to that kind of religion. Here's what I want. I want to be tied to the Gospel. I'm saved by grace through faith in Jesus. I want to be tied to Jesus Himself. I want to be connected to God, not, not connected to the ritual. And everything that we see on the outside, if there is any ritual, right, it comes from a place on the inside of our hearts, completely motivated by the heart. And why? Because we love Him. Because it's about worship. Here's the scary thing. Going to church, praying. I mean, you could be doing all of these things, 
You could be going to small groups and going to prayer meetings and doing all of these things and you could be doing it because you have to, because it's expected, because someone forced you, someone made you. Maybe it's just the expectations that you place on yourself and you're like, guess we have to do this, right? But, but it's religious because there's no heart connection. Relationship with God, it's never outside in. Relationship with God is always inside out. It always starts here. It always starts in your heart. And that, that's faith. That's pure. That's worship. That's adoration. And as all the things on the inside of you, as they start to emerge to the outside, it looks like something. You see people that are really passionate and, and, and in love with God, you know what it is, it's on the inside, that passion begins to emerge. The, the, the fact that they, they just wanna be at stuff and they, and they wanna pray and they wanna spend time with God, it looks like something, it looks like sacrifice, except you're not disappointed about it, you're happy, you know why? Because it all flows from thanksgiving, it's all because you get to, it's all because you want to, and it's never because you have to, it's great, but, grace-based, it's Spirit-empowered. And, and when I start to think about a whole group of people, Jesus' ecclesia, that gathered together and not because anyone told them that they had to, but just because they love to and they want to and, and, and they're so passionately seeking God. You know what? It reminds me of the way. It reminds me of the original church, the early church that were doing everything with such passion in their hearts because they cared about this message and they cared about God. It was never about the ritual. It was always out of thanksgiving. And that's what it means to have faith. It's what it means to be a follower of God. I wanna pray for people today and uh, perhaps you've just been going through the motions. You've just been going through church. Maybe, you know, even in this time of ISO, you suddenly realise that maybe what you were really connected to was actually just the experience of church, the ritual of church, just going along. Maybe you've never even been to church. I, I don't know, right? you suddenly realize that maybe the thing that you've been connected to all along or your thing that you thought this was, it was, it was just ritual. So here's what I want to do. I just want to pray for anyone that says, that's not what I want. What I really want is to have a genuine connection and relationship with God. And I would encourage you right now, just come back to God. Come back to Him to have that relationship with Him. So, so, so let me pray for you. And the first prayer I'm going to pray is really specifically for people that thought they maybe had a connection with God and they didn't. Let me pray. Father, I just pray for everyone out there that suddenly realizes, oh God, maybe, maybe I've been getting caught up in the wrong thing. I thought that all the stuff that I was doing, I've just been doing it because I have to, but I don't want to do it anymore. Father, I pray that God, as, as they begin to change and they open their hearts to you and they suddenly remember and realize why we're doing this in the first place, I pray that you just meet them where they're at. I pray that every experience of, of, of devotion and sacrifice of time or talent or treasure, whatever it is, God, that it becomes very real. And God, everything that they do is out of adoration. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. 
So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.